pray with me, Lord? We thank you that you are a God who is the same yesterday, today and forever. And Lord, we thank you that you are a God who's always working. Lord, not only in our lives and in this church, but Lord, throughout this earth. As we come this morning to see your work, to see your plans. Lord, to focus on your hope. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts. And I pray this morning that your word would change us and it would change us forever. And We pray it all in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Well, this morning as you're seated, I'm going to ask as you take your Bible out that you go ahead and turn to the book of Revelation. This morning we're going to continue our study in the book of Revelation and today we'll turn to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. And as we kind of start this morning, I just really want to confess something that the Holy Spirit of God has just been burdening and convicting me of this week as I have prayed. And I guess ever since kind of all the pandemic started, one of the things that I have really struggled with is just a cynical spirit in every bit of this, honestly. And a lot of that's just because of the untruths we've been told and just the ways we've been manipulated as Americans. And so it's just bothered me. And because of that, I've kind of really, really looked closely at the numbers and all the models and everything that the government's been telling us. And so at the beginning, if you remember kind of at the beginning of this pandemic, they were making predictions and models were saying that the death rate in America would be somewhere between 250 and 350,000 by April the 15th. And so they told us all of that. And then when April 15th got here, the numbers were actually right around 25,000 people died by April the 15th, not the 250 to 350,000. And when that happened, my cynical spirit just went into overdrive. And so it's hard for me just to listen to all that's been said and going on. But this week as I was praying and as I was thinking back, I thought back about the service we did right before the two months we couldn't meet together. And during that service, I asked the church to pray and actually led us to pray. And I said what I always say. I say prayer is the work of the church. And so I preached just a really short sermon on Romans 8, 28. And then we prayed, and we prayed for God's blessing. We prayed for God's protection. We prayed for those who were sick, that God would heal them. And so this week, as I was thinking back on that, the Holy Spirit just asked me a question. He said, John, did you not believe what you prayed? And I said, well, of course I believe what I prayed, Lord. And then he said, well, why don't you think I answered those prayers? See, that's the way it is for us so often. We pray for something. And when God answers those prayers, rather than stopping and thanking Him and praising Him for answered prayer, we try to explain those prayers away. So I just want to say that I'm sorry to the Lord for not giving Him thanks and praise for answering prayer. And I say all that to say this, I doubt that I'm the only person in that boat. Amen? I'll say amen for you, amen, because I know I'm not the only person in that boat. And so maybe that word was for you to stop and just give thanks to God and to thank God for answered prayer. So this morning as we go to the book of Revelation, we're really going to start the section of Revelation that everybody wants to study Revelation for anyway. We're going to start talking about what is going to happen in the future. Not just the future, but in our future. 
So just to refresh your memory, just how Revelation is laid out, Revelation 119 gives us the outline for the whole book of Revelation. And this is what Jesus tells the Apostle John to write. Jesus says, write down what you have seen, both the things that are happening now and the things that will happen. Now what John saw was Revelation chapter 1. What he saw was Jesus Christ. And that's what the word revelation means, just to unveil. And what revelation is doing is unveiling Jesus Christ and who he is and all that he has done and all that he is going to do. So that's the first thing we studied. The second part of Revelation is Revelation 2 and 3. That are the, the things that are happening now. Now those things were happening back in eighty ninety when this book was written, but they're actually happening today in 2020. This is the church. It is God's grace to the world so that the church can proclaim the name of Jesus so that people can be saved. It is just the age of God's patience, and we are living in that right now. But whenever Revelation chapter 4 starts, that is going to the things, be the things that will happen. Now, I can't tell you when Revelation chapter 4 is going to start. I, no one else can either because no one knows the day or the hour according to the word of God. But the reason we're studying Revelation, because I believe everything that's happening in the world right now is just kind of setting the table for what is going to happen as we study the book of Revelation. And you're going to be able to see that. And you're going to be able to see all that's happening right now and how that's going to be in effect when Revelation actually starts. So Revelation 4 is the future. And Revelation 4 through chapter 22 is that last part of Revelation 119, the things that will happen. So, of course, that is the bulk of Revelation. But the hard thing about in studying that part of Revelation is you have to interpret the things that are written down because we'll have to interpret numbers, we'll have to interpret signs and metaphors and all these things. And that's what makes it so hard because people have different interpretations of the book of Revelation. But I want you to know how we're going to interpret the book of Revelation. We are going to let the Bible interpret the Bible because that's how you should read the word of God. We're not going to go to a theological predisposition to understand the book of Revelation. We're not going to go to a man to teach us about Revelation. We're going to go to the Word of God because the Word of God interprets itself. Now, here's the thing about that. When we read the Word of God and what the Word of God says about Revelation, you're going to be surprised, just as I was surprised. Because a lot of the things that you've been taught about Revelation all your life are not so. Things that I have been taught all my life as I started studying Revelation, I was like, well, that's not what the Word of God says. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, don't be surprised about the fiery trials that you are going to have to endure for a little while. So many people are going to be surprised when Revelation starts because we've been taught all our life that we get out of here. And we just get to set up in heaven and like watch it unfold like a football game or something. We're eating popcorn, watching everything happen on this earth. That's not what the Bible teaches. Remember, the book of Revelation is written to who? It is written to the church. And it is written to the church for a purpose. And the purpose is to prepare us for what is to come. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that we are to endure. And what are we to endure? What the book of Revelation is talking about. And so in chapter 4 through verse or chapter 19, really, we're going to start talking about the tribulation time period. That's what Jesus calls it. That's what the Bible calls it. That word tribulation, the Greek word is thalupsis. It just means testing. And so for the church, the tribulation is going to be a time of testing. It's also going to be a time of separation. The church is going to be separated. 
between the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats, the saved and the lost. But also in the book of Revelation, we're going to see a harvest. And it's the harvest that Jesus tells us to pray for in Matthew 9. Go read Matthew 9, 37 and 38. Jesus says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest to send more workers into the field. Well, guess what we see in the book of Revelation? We see him sending more workers into the field. And then we see a great harvest, which the church is a part of. And then I believe what the Bible teaches, the church will be raptured at that point. Not here at the beginning of chapter 4. But when the word of God teaches it. So I believe in the rapture because the Bible teaches it. Next week we'll talk all about the rapture. So you'll know exactly what the Bible says about the rapture. But the great question is when does the rapture happen? And as we study the book of Revelation. You're going to see exactly when the rapture is going to happen. Because God has a purpose for the church. And it is the same purpose for the church as when the church was founded. And it is for the kingdom of God, for the name of Jesus to be made known, so that people can be saved, so that they can live eternally in his kingdom. And that doesn't change when the book of Revelation starts. God still uses the church to make his name known. Why? Because that's all he has ever used to make his name known, and that's all he will ever use to make his name known. You're going to see that, and we're going to talk about that. Here's what's amazing to me about the book of Revelation. If you study what will happen. God does something profound amazing to me. Because he sandwiches the tribulation period of time on this earth. With four chapters. Two at the beginning and two at the end. Revelation 4 and 5 and then Revelation 21 and 22. And do you know what those four chapters are all about? They're all about heaven. Because God knows that our hope. That our faith needs to be not on this earth, but in heaven. So in Revelation 4 and 5, in Revelation 21 and 22, we get more in those four chapters about heaven than all the rest of the Bible combined. By far we get more. We see the clearest picture of heaven in all the Bible. Because God knows we need it. Because that's our faith. That's our hope. So this morning as we look to that, I just want to read some of Revelation chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, turn there. We're going to start reading in verse 1. This is what the Bible says. John writes, Then I looked. I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, Come up here. I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the Spirit. And I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him and twenty-four elders sat on the throne. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. Now here in the first few verses of Revelation chapter 4, I hope you understand how amazing this is that the Apostle John gets to go to heaven, but not only go to heaven, gets to come back to this earth and talk about it. This does not happen 
Not even in the Bible. There are a few people in the Bible that get a glimpse of heaven, but no one gets to go to heaven and spend time in heaven and see the things of heaven and who is in heaven and what God is doing in heaven and then gets to come back to earth and talk about it. I don't care what goofy books have been written about people going to heaven and come back to earth. It does not happen. Because if you see God, do you know what happens to you? You die. That's what happens to you. That's why Moses had to look at the backside of God and catch a glimpse of his glory. But God gave the Apostle John a special dispensation so he could go to heaven and see heaven and then come back and write about it. Why? Because he's writing to the church. Specifically here, the church in AD 90. Those seven churches in Asia Minor of Revelation 2 and 3. Those were small churches. Those were struggling churches. Those were Christians who feared for their life because they lived in the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire made an edict that they should be eradicated. They should be killed. They should be persecuted. So they were in fear and trembling for their life. So John goes to heaven to talk about not their home on this earth, but their eternal home to give them hope and to give them a future. And he writes it to us as well. So that when we struggle in this life, when our time on this earth is hard, and it will be hard, we see that this life is not all there is. That this world is not our home. Heaven is our home. And we get to see all about heaven in this book of Revelation. So this morning, I just want you to get a glimpse of heaven. Just a small glimpse of what John is saying here. So that it will strengthen your faith and it will give you hope. And you will understand who you are in Christ Jesus. And that this life is nothing more than a vapor, a puff of smoke compared to eternity. There's just three things about heaven. First thing we see in Revelation 4, and we see other places in the Bible, that heaven is truly a place. Heaven is just not a figment of our imagination. Heaven is not a metaphor. Heaven is a place. And it is a real place, as real as Northport, Alabama, or London, England, or New York, New York, or wherever it is. Heaven is a place. How do I know that? Well, Jesus says it. Go read John 14. Jesus says, I am going to prepare a place for you. And when that place is ready, I will come and get you where you will be with me. Two times in a couple of verses, Jesus says that heaven is a place. And I know that question leads to, well, where is heaven? I have no idea. And guess what? No one else does either. I don't know where heaven is, but I can tell you that heaven is wherever God is. Heaven is the dwelling place of God. And where heaven is, God is. And where God is, heaven is. And if you are there with God, guess what? You are in heaven. Jesus says to the thief on the cross, just before he dies, the thief wants to go wherever Jesus is going. And Jesus says to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, that thief on the cross, dying a horrific death, got to go be with Jesus. Why? Because that's where heaven is. It is the place of God. Wherever it is in this universe, in this world, I don't know. But it is wherever God is. And when we go there, we are going to be with God, we will be home, our eternal home forever. So often when I travel, especially around the world, and I'm gone for a long period of time, one of the things I want to do is I want to come home. And when I say I want to come home or I get homesick, I'm not talking about a house on Elam Circle. I'm not talking about going and sitting in my recliner or sleeping in my bed. Home for me is wherever my family is. But here's the hard part about home on this earth. Our home changes, right? Our kids grow up and they go away. We lose loved ones or whatever it is. 
This earth is a place of goodbyes. Our home is always changing. But not our eternal home. Because our eternal home is wherever God is. And God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it will be the same forever when we are in eternity. Heaven's a place. And it's a place of perfection. That's why Jesus says that heaven is like paradise. Now what does that mean? I don't know. But this is how Paul tries to describe it in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined all that God has prepared for those who love him. Heaven is more than we can think. Heaven is more than we can imagine. Now for me, the thing that makes heaven heaven is just simply that heaven is a place of peace. Isn't that what we're all looking for in this life? Peace. Listen to how Jesus describes or how John describes heaven in Revelation 4. In verse 6, he says this. He says, in front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. A shiny sea of glass. Now, for me, anyway, one of the things that is peaceful for me on this earth is water. I love to hear the sound of water, whether it be rain falling from the sky or sitting by a stream, listening to it go down a hill or sitting on an ocean, listening to the waves come upon the shore. I love water. And for me, water is peace. But I want you to think about water on this earth right now. Water on this earth is like a river. Now, river, if you go to a river, a river can be great because a river can provide life, right? We can drink water from a river and it can give us life. Food, it can give food that can give us life. It can provide peace and tranquility. It can provide joy if we play in that river. But what happens to that river if it floods its banks? If it gets out of its boundaries, what happens? It no longer gives life. It takes life, right? And that's what this earth is right now. It's like a river that has flooded its banks. What God designed and what God intended is no longer, and it is taking life rather than giving life. Well, not in heaven, because heaven is like a sea of shiny glass. It is a place of perfection. Later in Revelation, this is how John describes heaven. Revelation 21.4, he says, He, Jesus, will wipe every tear from our eye, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. All these things. To me, the greatest thing about heaven is not what's going to be in heaven, but the things are, that are not going to be in heaven. You know what's not going to be in heaven? Satan will not be in heaven. In the Bible, if you read the Bible, Satan is not in the first two chapters of the Bible. He's not in the last two chapters of the Bible. He's gone. He will not be in heaven. And because Satan will not be in heaven, there will be no more evil. There will be no more sin. There will be no more temptation. There will be no more remorse or regret or conviction there will be no more tears. Jesus says here there will be no more pain. Physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain. They're all gone. No more cancer. No more hurt. No more sorrow. No more death. All these things are gone forever. Why? Because heaven is a place of perfection. The final thing, heaven's going to be a place of fellowship. Whenever I talk about heaven, the one question I get more than any other question is, will I know those people that I loved in heaven like I love them on this earth? And the answer to that question is yes. You will know your loved ones in heaven and you will love them in heaven more than you love them on this earth. 
Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, now we see things imperfectly as in a cloudy mirror. But then, talking about heaven, then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But when, then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. When we get to heaven, we will know each other completely, just as God knows us completely. That will be our knowledge of everyone in heaven, not just those we love. So will we know those that we love and will we recognize those we love? Absolutely, yes, because in heaven there will be no more sin. There will be no more shame. There will be no more walls to put up to separate us. Whenever I meet someone now, I'm always guarded with what I tell them or what I want them to know about me. Why? Because I've been hurt by people in the past. So I don't tell them everything because I don't want them to know everything about me. I've hurt people in the past, so I don't want to hurt them. So that's the way we live this life. But in heaven, all those things are gone. Walls come down. We don't have to put on masks. Because we will know everyone completely just as God knows us completely. That's what heaven is going to be like. That's why on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17... Peter, James, and John could know Moses and Elijah. Why? Did Moses and Elijah wear name tags? No, they'd been dead for hundreds and hundreds of years. But they knew them. Why? Because it's as if they were in heaven where they know everything with perfect clarity and perfection. And that's what it will be like. And that's our hope. That's our faith to know that this world is just a vapor. And we are not citizens of this earth, as Paul says. But we are citizens of heaven. And we have a home waiting for us. And Jesus Christ is waiting for us. And when we go, there will be a banquet. And yes, we will eat in heaven. And I wish I had more time. I'll tell you what we're going to eat because we're going to eat good. I promise it. I can tell you what we're going to wear in heaven. I can tell you what we're going to look like in heaven. I can tell you all these things about heaven, but I don't have time. I'm sorry. But I'm telling you, heaven's perfect. The Bible tells us what it's going to be like. So that we forget about this earth. We focus on glory. About 10 years ago. I got to go to Cuba. And I got to go and preach to the church there. And one church I'll never forget going to preaching at was the First Baptist Church of Havana. And I went to this church and it was just honestly a remnant of what it was before communism. Because once communism started and they stamped out Christianity, they came into the church, they pillaged it, they took everything of value out of it. So really the church was just a shell and we were in a building with no air conditioning, no nothing, and the people were having to sit in metal folding chairs. And that morning that I got to preach, there were about a hundred people there. And I can remember the pastor coming to me before I preached and he told me, he said, John... My people just really need hope. They just need hope. So before I got up to preach, I was just thinking about, well, what in the world can I preach? What can I say to these people? I mean, what can I give them? And the Lord just impressed upon me, just preach about heaven. So I preached out of John 14, verses 1 through 6, where Jesus talks about, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I just talked about heaven. And as I talked about heaven, I watched the people's expression. And I watched their countenance change. And I watched their face light up. As they forgot about their cares for today. Because they realized what tomorrow held. 
sometimes I wish you could see what I see when I preach. Because whenever I go around the world in places like China, the Middle East, or North Africa, Cuba, or South America, or Haiti, or wherever, and I go to places like that, and I talk about heaven, inevitably, the people's faces light up. But not in America. Most of the time, our faces just glaze over. And here's why. It's because our hope is not heaven. Honestly, here's our hope in America. We hope to have a good life. We hope to live in a nice house, drive nice cars. We hope to take nice vacations. We hope to have a nice retirement, die an easy death, and then no hell. That's our hope as Americans. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is to focus on heaven, our eternal home. So that this life becomes that priority. So that this life is getting people away from this earth and the hell that it offers to an eternal home. And the only way that is possible is through Christ Jesus. And So making his name known should be our priority. Why? Because our focus is on heaven. It is on the reward that God is going to give those who endure. According to the book of Revelation. This morning I'm just going to encourage you. Study your Bible. To see what it says about heaven. So that your focus will lead from this earth. To a God who's on his throne. To a God who is in control. To a God who has done everything. So that one day you can be with him forever. Just bow with me. Let me pray. Lord. We love you. We thank you for your promises. Lord we thank you for Jesus. Who makes eternal life possible. Lord thank you. For hope. Lord as we just continue to worship. I pray. For those in this room. And Lord for those watching. That your spirit would speak to them. And just draw them to yourself. We just give you these moments and we pray for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning as we close, the praise band is just going to sing a song, I Surrender All. And all I'm going to ask you to do as they sing this song is I'm just going to ask you to pray. And so right now I'm just going to go ahead and ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Because this morning, some of you need to pray. And you need to ask Jesus Christ to save you. 
Because according to John 14, there is only one way to heaven. There is only one way to have eternal life, and that is through Jesus Christ. In verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. This morning, if you need Jesus, the Bible says all you have to do is call upon his name to save you. And if you believe Jesus Christ and you believe the words of this Bible, he will save you. And you will spend eternity with him according to his word. If you don't do that, the only other option, the Bible says you will spend eternity in a place called hell. And as great and as glorious as heaven is, hell is a hell that my words can't describe. Because it is a place where you are utterly separated from God forever. So this morning, if you need Jesus, call upon his name. Maybe this morning you're saved. But maybe this morning you've forgotten what it's like. You just need to pray for God to restore the joy of your salvation as David prayed in the Psalms. So pray to God that he would do that. And that he would change your heart and your focus and your life. That you could fulfill what he put you on this earth to fulfill. Which is to make the name of Jesus known. As they sing, just pray.
God. It's been good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Yes, it has. Before we stand up, I want to let you know, if you still need prayer, Pastor John's available in the connection room out to my right, your left. And he's available for the next few minutes. Stop by there and see him. Or you can come by and see me as well after church. If you'd like to talk more about the Lord and just have some neat things you want to pray about. Also, at the information desk, we have these gospel bracelets based on the prodigal son story. They're also available at the information desk. If you don't have one, stop by there and pick those up for your convenience. And uh, finally, last thing, if you're a guest with us today, uh, we're doing something different now. If you're a guest, text the word NBC Guest to the numbers 94090. So take your phone now and just pull it out. Type in the number 94090 and type in the word NBC guest and we'll reach back out to you sometime this week. So thank you for coming. And finally, one last bit of information. These are historical times we're living in, right? And so I want to take a picture of this group of people. We came together and had church during the coronavirus. And so this is one of our, our second gatherings. I'm going to let you hold the phone, uh, the uh, microphone for me. Yeah, it's good to see y'all. So listen, let me pray for us and we'll go, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Father, for the blessings and the privilege and the honor to gather again as believers in Christ. So, Father, thank you for letting the church be the church. And I pray, Father, that you've been pleased today with our presence and our prayers and our praise to you today. And so, Father, bless every family represented here under the sound of my voice Bless those that are here by way of online worship. And we ask, God, that the day will come soon that we will all be together again, sitting side by side together, worshiping you together. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all have a great day. Father, we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And he's given us new life. Oh, by the way, you can put your offering and tithes in the offering boxes on the way out. I forgot to mention that. We believe in the resurrection, and he's coming back again. We believe. So let our faith be more than anthems. Songs we sing in our weakness and temptation, we believe.